We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Coming at you on a uh, Thursday, a game day. Knicks, of course, in action tonight against the Washington Wizards. Um, also, uh, a sad day um, because... We just got some news late last night that is unfortunate. Um, definitely hit like a ton of bricks. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, along with some other news from earlier in the day that was a little bit more positive. Uh, but first, let me just tell you who's coming on the show today. First time guest, someone I could not wait to speak to because I just have an immense respect for uh, their uh, ability to analyze basketball and um, really digest the X's and O's in a way that uh, few people do. And that's Caitlin Cooper of Indie Corn Rose. So obviously, uh, if you've been listening to the Sunday pods with me and Jeremy, you know that Miles Turner has been a topic of conversation for some time as the Knicks have, uh, you know, not had the greatest production from their center position through, uh, well, through at least 30 games. And then Mitchell Robinson went and had his best game of the year against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, we talk a little bit about that. We talk a lot about Miles Turner. We talk about possible trade packages. We talk about the Pacers, where they are, what they might be looking for. Uh, we get into a whole bunch of stuff. It was a really, really good, fun conversation. Whether you love the idea of trading for Turner, hate the idea of trading for Turner, uh, don't think the Knicks need to trade for Turner now that uh, Mitch has, you know, looked a little bit more like himself. You're going to enjoy this conversation a lot um, because we, you know, we get into a lot of things that are relevant regardless of what the Knicks decide to do on the trade market. So that's coming up soon. Um, I'll also say before I get to the, the not so good news, um, the the better news that we got uh, earlier on Wednesday, which is that Obi Toppin would be coming back and making his return to the lineup on uh, Thursday against the aforementioned Washington Wizards. So that means the Knicks will have at their disposal in terms of just 
regular rotation players that have been playing all year, uh, they will have their starting lineup from the previous uh, couple games, which is Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, Alec Burks, Julius Randle, um, and uh, they will not, however, have Nerlens Noel because Nerlens Noel, I almost forgot about this, has entered health and safety protocols along with half of his team. So presumably, Mitchell Robinson will now step from a backup role into the starting lineup. And they will also get Obi Toppin back. They have Toppin. Um, and then after that, it's Taj Gibson. Uh, it's Wayne Selden. It's Damian Dotson. Uh, we'll see how much time uh, those guys get. I have a feeling, considering we saw some Julius Randle at the f- uh, three minutes, we're definitely going to see some Obi Toppin at the three minutes. Uh, they're going to play big, uh, at least for the moment. Um, I should also note that uh, R.J. Barrett, there's a possibility that he will come out of health and safety protocols, perhaps even by the time you listen to this. So store that away. Uh, I keep dancing around it. Derek Rose, the news is that he is out for, um, well, it's at least six weeks. The initial reports were eight weeks, but Woj sent out a tweet clarifying that there is hope and optimism that he could return in, in six weeks. Uh, he had surgery on the ankle that's been bothering him. Um I'm not going to talk about this for too long, only because I went and did a uh, a live stream on this. So if you are interested in hearing my extended thoughts on the Derrick Rose news, uh, just go, you know, check out the uh, Knicks, Film Two, Knicks Film School YouTube channel um, that'll be on there. Uh, and uh, you could you could see I talk for about 20 minutes. I will just say very briefly. Um, it's incredibly sad news for Derrick Rose, who through the first, I would say, quarter of the season, maybe a little bit less than quarter of the season, but definitely the first 14, 15 games, was putting together uh, what I thought was a legitimate case for six man of the year. If you're a fan of on-off numbers, his on-off numbers, you know, after 14 games were on were third in the entire NBA. Um, he was the best thing about the team. He was the best player on the team. It wasn't really even close. Um, so it's sad from that perspective. It's also sad, obviously, because of his individual story, how much he's dealt with these sorts of things already in his career. Obviously, the ACL is the big one. Um, you know, but this was a really nice redemption story for him coming here last year. And it started off really good. And then the season has kind of gone sideways. And not coincidentally, the season has started to go sideways for the Knicks when Derrick Rose's production started to fall off um, about a dozen games ago for him. And that's why, while I am obviously very bummed about this news and I I think the Knicks will miss Derrick Rose, um, he has not really quite been the same player over the last 10 or 12 games. The individual numbers indicate that. The on-off numbers indicate that. Basically everything. The eye test indicates that. Um, he just hasn't been as good. It it kind of felt like he was wearing down. There was a couple of couple of stretches there over the last couple of weeks where you felt like you were watching a player who just was kind of hitting a wall a little bit. Um, and then when he went down with this ankle injury, you know, I, I there was a part of me that said, you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if he was out for a while. I obviously did not foresee surgery, so you know what, um. 
I'm always one for silver linings. Maybe that's maybe that's the benefit here. Maybe Derrick Rose goes on the shelf for a bit, comes back revitalized, re-energized. As for where the Knicks will be when he returns, what kind of Nick team he will be coming back to when he comes back, um, you know, that remains to be seen. It'll be after the trade deadline. I think even if it's six weeks, it'll prob- that'll actually put it pretty close to the trade deadline. Um, trade dead- deadline, of course, is February 10th. So actually, now that I think about it, eight weeks is still right around February 10th. So he'll, he'll I, I stand corrected. He'll be back probably before the trade deadline. Um, either way, you know, we'll learn a lot about this team over the next two, four, six weeks of basketball. Um, and you know, this clears the way for Kemba Walker as it probably should. Um, the Walker benching, you could say that they played better teams, whatever. It didn't fix their issues. Um, and over the last couple games in Boston and then against Detroit, it's pretty clear that Kemba found something. It's pretty clear that Evan Fournier found something. As for Julius Randle, well, that's, you know, it's the elephant in the room. Um, We'll see, can these different pieces coexist together? Who starts? Who comes off the bench? All these things remain to be be seen. But, um, you know, the Knicks were going to be facing a rotation crunch now with Rose out. Again, I'm not saying it's good that he's out. He, uh, uh, even with his struggles over the last, you know, whatever, 10, 12 games he's played. Um, and I, I, I don't even, I shouldn't even say struggles. Like for him, there's struggles for, he's still, he's still been a good player. Um, and on balance, even with the last few weeks with a little bit of a drop off, I still think he's been the Knicks best player on the year. Uh, and they're losing that guy and that's going to hurt. But I don't know. The NBA season works in funny ways sometimes. So uh, I, I just, I will say that I am, while I am sad for Rose and I do fear a little bit of what's going to happen with, without him, there is a part of me that, that kind of secretly thinks, Hey, you know, maybe they'll, they'll come out of this one. Okay. Um, because of some of the things that will force, uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau to do. And, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. 
twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, it's actually a little bit astounding to me that I have gone over 400 episodes and I have somehow never um, had this guest on before, because I would posit that amongst the niche basketball team centric podcast or uh, writing blog podcast community, I think she might have elevated herself to number one on like just any depth chart. Um, And that is, of course, of Indy Cornrows, Caitlin Cooper. Hello, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing good. You're already setting unrealistic expectations. People are going to listen and they're going to be like, why did you have this person on? Listen, look what we're doing here. I am nothing if not someone who is, I'm not as plugged into like NBA Twitter as I used to be because I have two kids and things going on. Um, But I am always paying attention to people who are getting noticed by the important people in, I will say, our business, even though I don't know what that even means. Um, And you are someone who just continues to get noticed for your work. And it's with um, good cause because, you know, and, and I don't know if this is like some deal you made with the devil that like you have you have blown up, but you have to cover the Pacers who are not exactly the most exciting of basketball teams. Um, if you want to come clean on this podcast, you can do so. That's fine. I won't tell anybody. I think somewhat that might be a little bit to my benefit. People are always telling me like, oh, you, you should request a trade or this or that. And I'm like, well, I don't know if people would have recognized my work as much if I was covering the Knicks or, you know, another bigger market team, because there's so many people covering them. Like the Pacers have a very small uh, number of people who are covering the team. And especially right now with some of the I see that's going on, there's not a lot of competition in the market with, you know, overall volume of podcasts and blogs that it seems like some other teams have, you know, this may shock you. Not everyone who covers the Knicks is good at what they do. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. Uh, first and foremost, the person who's interviewing right now. Um, but I make my way uh, anyway. Uh, so I, we reached out to you like a week or two ago, whatever it was. Cause I went to, I went to Andrew and I'm like, Hey, um, you know, there seems to be a lot of smoke about the possibility of a Miles Turner trade. Why don't we get someone on here who actually knows a little bit about Miles Turner instead of like the same Knicks people commenting on like the same five games that they've watched him play this year, <laughs> or maybe like the five games they watched him play last year. Um, before we get to, to Turner, though, I actually because I know you are someone who is incredibly cognizant about uh, the state of the league at all times and, and kind of the Pacers place within it. And the Knicks are kind of in the same spot. I think, I don't know, half a game or a game separates the two of them. They're both right now outside of the play and looking in. Has this season, like, has any part of you watching them this year been like, you know, 
this would be an awfully nice time to just let this season go the way of the dinosaur and like the Pacers haven't had a top 10. What is it? I forget how long it's been since the Pacers have had a top 10 pick. I'm sure, you know, um, well, George was 10th, but inside the top 10 it's been since before I was born. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, is there a part of you who's like, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if they leaned into the, that direction. Are you like, they may not need to lean into that direction and they may fall into it anyway. Or is, is this just not something you're even thinking about right now? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's thinking about it. It's felt like this team has felt a little bit purgatorial since the season started, to be honest, because like, I don't think it's completely fair to say they've run back the exact same core because they did trade Victor Oladipo just within the last year. But overall, the main pieces are the same. And I, I know that there's a lot of fan apathy and frustration with like, you know, the concept of being a tough out. And right now they're not even in the play in picture. So it's kind of like, where, where is the goal? What is the, you know, the optimism or the bright spot to really latch onto right now? Cause they do have Chris Duarte, but they don't really have a young core. He's not young. Like he's only a year younger than Sabonis and Turner. So um, if you pivot, what, what is the real focus there, depending upon if they did make a trade, but I mean, the Pacers attendance have, they have a, issues with getting fans in the building right now. So from a financial standpoint, it would kind of make sense if they wanted to go the seller's route to do it now. But I mean, there was, I don't know how many people know this, but there was reporting over the summer that Kevin Pritchard at least considered the possibility of rebuilding and the ownership kind of pushed back on that idea. And then obviously they hired Rick Carlisle, who they felt was the best coach available on the market. Their goal was to make the playoffs and that hasn't come into fruition yet. But I mean, that was already a consideration. It just doesn't really seem right now, especially with the way the team is posturing that they're necessarily willing to take several steps back to get better. It seems like they either want to see what this core can do or want to make, you know, a mini move to see if they can remain competitive. Now, whether that's the correct track to go is another question, but that doesn't, that seems like that's what ownership's plan is. Yeah. uh, Speaking of the posturing, um, you know, uh, good, good old Herb uh, Simon came out and said what he said. Was that like in response to the athletic report or was that it, basically, yeah. was that a response? Okay. Yeah. From what I gathered, they only had five reporters present at this meeting, and he basically wanted to get his side of the story on the okay. record and put it out there that, like, we're not going to be a team that tanks. Like, he's very morally opposed to tanking and that that isn't going to be the plan. And also, I do think, like, I use the word posturing. I think some degree it was maintaining leverage while also making sure that they're not going to downplay the players in the current locker room and say, okay. you know, we're not, we're not going to make a panic trade. Is, is basically what I took from it. Okay. And that's, you know, that's, that's good. Um, so I guess one, one more on this before we move to the, to the Turner thing, were you, were you surprised by the athletic report? And I guess in conjunction with that, how did you read the athletic report? Cause I like my, I like glanced through it. Cause I was obviously looking for like the mention of the Knicks as I always do in these stories about like, if they've been in contact, but like my initial impression was like, Oh, they're gonna, they're going to finally lean into this. And, but obviously that's, does not seem to be the case. Right. I mean, I think that there was a lot of verbal gymnastics and semantics going on on, on Twitter about whether the words should have been rebuilt or retool. Cause when you got into the article, it, far more seemed like, you know, this isn't going to be, you know, a Sam Hinkie project or what the thunder are going through. It was going to be, rebuild on the fly, find a way to stay competitive. This is the way the Pacers go about it. But when I initially saw the word rebuild, yeah, I mean, it surprised me because that would be, that's not really in the Pacers MO. That's not really the way they go about trying to make themselves more relevant. They typically do it with trades and finding players. Like, I mean, if you, this is recent history, when they moved Paul George, they didn't go after picks, Victor and, and DeMontis Sabonis. Like they didn't, I mean, I don't think they anticipated that they were going to be as good as they were and that both of them necessarily were going to turn into all-stars, but 
point being, they didn't, they weren't adamantly looking to take steps back and to, and to get higher lottery picks. Even when they traded Victor, they probably could have gotten second rounders. Like obviously his value had diminished from what he was and what position they were negotiating from, but they went and got Karis LeVert. Like they got another player that they thought was going to help them. So that's generally what track they take. And that's probably, I mean, based on what ownership said, and I don't know if you saw it, but last night the Pacers were playing on TNT and Jared Greenberg had a sideline report where he had said that he directly asked Rick Carlisle before the game. If you, if you knew that you were going to an organization that was going to rebuild in your first year, would you have agreed to go there? And he said, no, I wouldn't. Oh, wow. So, so I mean that, that, seems to pick a pretty clear direction to me. Yeah. Like unless Rick Carlisle is now seeing the writing on the wall and is like, Hey, I just can't get these pieces to work. We have to do, we have to make a shakeup. We have to do something. It still seems predictive to me that at least from the ownership standpoint and the coach that they just hired and they're paying $7 million a year to that they would probably more likely if they felt like the pieces weren't going to work, are going to look for a trade for a player that's going to help them stay competitive. Yeah. And, and I, I want to be very clear. I don't, I don't know if it's, maybe not coming off um, this way, but like, and Nick fans are, are not going to like when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like this is not an apples to apples conversation comparison between these two teams. The Knicks are barely, as of right now, they're 21st in net rating. You guys are 14th and you're above board, even though the record is, is what it is. Um, like, I don't think the Pacers are a bad team. I don't need to get into the issues they've had this year with you. You've talked about that enough already, but like, I don't think this is a crazy stance to take necessarily. Um, that said, you know, retooling. Okay, so let's let's get into Mr. Turner. You've watched more Miles Turner basketball than anyone. I'll start here because you're huge on X's and O's and you're better at it than anyone. Do you feel like this is a player who, I don't want to say has untapped upside, but like there would be a potential mistake if they got rid of him for, let's just say, the package that would probably be available for him, you know, given, and we could get into that, but like, we kind of have an idea of what they're getting from Alice Turner. I think like, do you think that would be a mistake to let him go for that? Or, or would you, is that something you think you'd be in favor of? I mean, it's interesting because I mean, and they like to point this out, the net rating between Turner and Sabonis is as good as it's been, but you also have to look at what the opponent three point percentages in that. Like, I'm not going to equate it to all of that, but teams, from three when the two of them are on the court are shooting like 31 or 32%. Last year under Nate Bjorken, opponents were shooting like 38 or 39%. Like if there's some progression to the mean there, I don't think it looks quite as shiny um, as it does right now. And then obviously like, I mean, you guys experienced this last night. The Pacers look like a competent basketball team a couple nights ago against the Detroit Pistons with Trey Lyles as a backup big. Between <laughs> that, in between that, they lost to an undermanned Bucks team getting spread out and not being able to stay in front of anybody defensively and then struggling against blitzing coverage yet again. And then last night against the Heat, same thing. They don't have three starters, but they're playing small and they're jacking threes. And then the Pacers have a math problem and they can't stay in front of people and they don't know how to the zone and their own shooting is a problem. Um, I think there's somewhat of a limited there, but just with regards to Miles, I think that what this is why it makes it tricky to move him because I think this is the better player of the two um, in a lot of regards with them, but it requires a somewhat trickier fit. Like you're going to have to find if you're, if you're fully committing to Sabonis at the five, you're going to have to find a four and other defenders that are going to make that feasible because there will be a drop off. I mean, Sabonis is not miles. He's made some strides defensively this year, I think. And they've done smart things like last year under Nate Bjorkren, 
they were just being hyper aggressive out on the perimeter and funneling, funneling, funneling. Like I'm pretty sure if you look at defensive impact stats, like miles was challenging more shots at the rim that since that, since that has started being tracked and now Sabonis, if you look at his numbers, they're doing a lot more hedging with Sabonis and having him come up and impact the ball at the level and above. So he's not having to challenge as much as at the rim. If you're going to do that full time, you need to have mobile force and, and twitchy guys with links that are going to be able to rotate around kind of similar to what Minnesota is doing around. Colleen. It was literally about to say like the Vanderbilt right. kid in, in Minnesota. Yeah. Which kind of is what might make the Pacers an interesting trade partner with Minnesota in some degree, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would, that would, that would be something. Okay. But, uh, uh, sorry. but that type of model. So like, I think that there's probably been some hesitation to move him. Oh, I mean, he's been in trade rumors for like three straight years. And I think that probably the only way you're going to do it is if you feel like you're getting something back, that's either like a player that you just can't turn down. Like, obviously there was a lot of interest on their part in Gordon Hayward. Cause they had nobody on their roster who could do all those things at once that Gordon Hayward can do. Or if you're going to find somebody that's really going to fit into that slot. Otherwise, I don't think that they will make a panic trade. I think that they'll just continue on with Miles because, you know, at what point are you just getting worse for the sake of doing it, you know? Yeah. And again, that's that doesn't seem to be something that Indy has ever done. Um, I mean, I can't. I mean, just like off the top of my head, I, I can't think of a trade where they made where like, oh, that doesn't really make any sense. Like they're they're the team that gets TJ Warren and then watches everybody laugh at the team that traded away TJ Warren. Like they make the smart trade. Um, but then again, it gets, I think it gets dicey because like, what, what is the, you know, what is the market? So then it does it lead them to just hang on to Turner. We'll get back to that in a sec. I find it interesting. You mentioned with Sabonis, um, how you described him. I felt like that was the conversation around Julius Randall at one point in time in his career, probably when he was still with LA and there was some notion of like, Oh, maybe he's just a five. And then you have to figure out ways to make that work defensively. That's kind of subsided. And like, there seems to be an acceptance, like he's a four and we'll work around those issues. Um, Back to Turner, how much of his comments uh, in the, I guess it was the subsequent athletic piece about how they're using me and this and that. Do you think factor into Indy's thinking about how, or should they move him? How soon do they need to move him? Like, or does there, do you just think they're like, look, if we don't get a deal, we like, we're, we're just not going to move. Right. So, I mean, the situation with miles and Sabonis is a little bit different because miles doesn't have as many years left on his contract. So after this one, you're going, you're heading into, you know, he's going to be in a contract year and you probably have to think about if his, if his value will diminish in some degree, if teams don't have more control than that. But um, they came out and said the right things after all that was over. I mean, Miles, before the report came out, um, and then the Pacers official account like tweeted the video of this. And afterwards, he said, you know, it wasn't about touches. It wasn't about play calls. And I talked to my teammates. I talked to Rick Carlisle. I talked to Kevin Pritchard. You know, it, it was about role clarity. And my question to that would be like, uh, it's good that he tried to smooth it over and, and that he talked to the people who actually matter in this situation. But if you had talked to the people who actually matter in this situation, I'm not really sure you need to go on the record saying that, you know, I'm viewed as a glorified role player. And then to say all the various quotes that he said, I mean, just to lay it out there, I disagreed with most of what he said in the article. Like, I mean, the one quote where he's talking about, you know, I had the 40 point game against Washington. Then the next night it was status quo. Like I, the way he played against the wizards is how he needs to play. Like he was aggressive. They weren't really guarding him. Just how he played against the Knicks. Same thing. Like if you're going to have Mitchell Robinson sagging off of you and you can take 10 threes and you're open, shoot the ball, put the ball on the gore. If they, if they start to close out to you and he has improved in certain ways, but then the next night against the heat, when he's saying it went back to status quo, 
the defense changed. Like the Heat were guarding him. And he's like, well, I didn't get into a flow. And then he ended up getting benched at the end of that game. Well, they played O'Shea Brissett. They're not running plays or getting touches for O'Shea. He was just playing on the outside of Spain pick and rolls. So what's the reason for how he was able to be in a rhythm and be on the court? So like some of those, some of those quotes were a little bit head scratching. And I wondered how they would play in other markets. Like if, if he was thinking and he said, by all accounts, he said, I want to be in Indiana. I like it here. But like how other markets are perceiving that if, you know, I kind of see him in a high efficiency, low usage role. And I was pleased with the progress that he's made in terms of being like a pick and pop floor spacer, cutter. I think that that's ideally what he is. And I think that's probably what the Knicks would want him to be if he's going to play next to Julius Randle. But, um, you know, maybe if he goes to the Knicks, maybe his thinking would change because maybe he's in a big market. Um, maybe the things that he already does really well, like his rim protection and the strides that he has made as a floor spacer, get more appreciated. They're seen more. He's more <laughs> visible. And maybe that's enough. But it, he's even before that interview happened, like on media day, he talked about how he wanted more touches, how he wanted people to see him as a two-way player, how the Pacers have five 20-point-per-game starters in the starting lineup, which indicates that he sees himself as a 20-point-per-game star, starter. And that he said, like, I want to be an all-star in this league. That's... I want to improve my numbers so I can get there. Like getting that all-star tenure is important to him. And I think it's fine to have goals, but it does seem to. Oh, goals are great. <laughs> that, that, yeah. It just seems to indicate to me that he wants to have this bigger role. And then when you interpret from what he's saying in the article, it, it sounds like he wants to do more of the Sabonis stuff or have the opportunity to, when they're both on the court, like I want to be the screener more. I want to be more involved within the action. Um, maybe have some opportunities for other touches in different spots. And the Pacers have tried to accommodate some of that over the last few games, but it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense because Sabonis is better at the Sabonis stuff. I mean, and look, say it like it is Sabonis is like Jokic light. I'm not putting him in that same conversation, right. but he's, you watch him do what he does. I mean, at least I watch him do what he does. You watch him a lot, have a lot more than me. He's like, you could give him the ball and he can run an offense from, from where he runs the offense from. Sure. And, and, and Sabonis, like I said, like, and there's arguments to be made that Sabonis isn't doing enough of the Sabonis stuff this year up okay. until like this last month. Like, I mean, they've kind of de-emphasized some of that because they wanted to play this more five out egalitarian style. And like I said, you can see that they've made, some adjustments to be able to involve both of them more. But I also agree with Rick Carlisle. I think there has to be some accountability in that right now, the Pacers are running very random offense. They're not running a lot of play calls. So there are spots where miles can assert himself in some days, some games, he really does that. Like if you watch the game back against the Pistons, he, you know, flashed in front of guards on switches. He finished the man ones. Like he can do other stuff like that. And I do think that the Pacers ball handlers could be better at getting him the ball. He's, he's, he's made himself available better. And the Pacers just don't always get the ball to where it needs to go. So that's not really on him, but um, I don't think any of his coaches from Frank Vogel to Nate McMillan to Nate Bjorker and to Rick Carlisle have instructed him and said, all you can do is go hide in the corner and you have to stand there. Like, I just, I don't think that that's happened. And if it has, I don't really know why they were coaching as long as they were. Cause I just don't think any coach is going to tell him that that's I mean, all he can do. It, it's a little bit like, God, we had this conversation for years with a, a young man. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the name, Frank Nilakina, where it, it's how many different coaches and ever, you know, a, and I was, I said some of these things myself where it's like, Oh, they're, they're not using them correctly. They're not, you know, getting them opportunities. Well, at some point you got to like take the bull by the horns and, and, and do the thing. Um, yeah. Those, those comments came out and like a lot of Nick fans were happy, obviously, because there's people over here who want him and, those seem to indicate a player who might be on his way out. I was, I mean, I, I felt a little bit that way, but there's also a part of me that's like, well, we have a team right now that seems like the main issue is you got Julius Randle and Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker, all of whom 
and I understand Walker was obviously out of the rotation for a while, but like now he's back. These guys all want shots. These guys are all used to having a ton of shots and they're not getting their shots. And like that seems and not to mention RJ Barrett to bring in one more guy who's like, hey, I want to be a high usage guy, too. Is that maybe not necessarily the best move? I don't know. Like you said, maybe it would get smoothed over here. The journey to a smoke free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Let me transition to the Knicks before I let you go. Is there anybody on this roster? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know the Knicks' salaries. Like, there's combinations of, like, you know, Walker and uh, Noel, Walker and Knox, Noel and Knox. Uh, Fournier makes about the same as term. Like there's different Alec Burks, you know, is there any of these types of players or combinations of players? And I'll, even some of the young guys in there, like, you know, top in and quickly, like their names have been mentioned. Do you think that there is a deal out there that at least on paper makes uh, Mitchell Robinson? I mean, Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson had his best game of the year last night that on paper, like makes sense to you. Yeah. Let me posit it this way. So, while Sabonis and Julius Randle are both hubs and have the ability to pass and move the ball out of the post, I don't think they're identical players. They like are not. Randle does a lot more in face-up situations than what you would see Sabonis do, who's more, you know, when he's at his most, Sabonis is going to be operating out of the elbows and doing some out of the post and how he moves the ball. So I do think that if if Randle was playing with Miles, maybe, you know, in, in Miles's regard, and I, I don't know how Nick fans envision seeing Julius Randle. Is it like, oh, we want him to do a little bit less and he get, becomes a role? man and that opens up offense for other people or is it we want to augment what he already does and we want you know better shooters around him so that he can be better at doing the Julius Randle stuff well it that's the $64,000 question this year because I think the next philosophy was let's bring in these guys who could actually do stuff when Julius draws doubles and then lo and behold this season Julius stopped making the shots that Julius made last year so the doubles stopped coming and then Julius starts getting in his own head and he's been kind of in no man's land for a while. So to answer your question, I'm not sure what anybody wants Julius Randle to do right now. Julius Randle, I think, would like to get back to, like, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm going to shoot when I get the ball. But so there's, I, I think there is definitely a world where he becomes more of a finisher and playing off of, you know, guys like Kemba, Fournier, Rose. But no, I, I think there's also a world where he's still the playmaker he was last year. And obviously he needs to start hitting shots before it, you know, it's cascading effect. I think they those two could work well together in right. theory. They worked they were got together in the offseason too. So like, I don't know, maybe yeah. that has something to do with it. Yeah. And because that's what I was going to say, like you could probably theoretically, and I, I went searching for these possessions over the weekend. Once I knew I was going to do the show, they don't run a lot of four or five pick and roll. The Knicks don't, that doesn't happen a lot. No. <laughs> it, like, I think I found like a total of 10 possessions where this is a thing. 
But like if Miles, if Miles wanted to be involved as a screener and you wanted to have Julius on ball, like I think most teams would probably switch that or go under on Julius and see if he could make a pull up two or a pull up three. But like that's not really an option for Sabonis and Miles. Like you're not going to like Sabonis does a little bit on ball, but not to the degree that Randall could. And then obviously, like just for the Knicks sake, like you can spread Miles Turner to the corner in ways that you can't with Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson if if. Randall is posting up. So that type of stuff. I mean, it, from the Pacers perspective, like I, I think the top end would have to be like the baseline. I mean, you kind of compare, this was the deal that I mentioned on our podcast yesterday. Like I kind of look at what the magic got for Aaron Gordon when they abruptly veered to a rebuild because, because they have a similar trajectory between that's and, not and a what, bad comp. That's yeah, not a bad and comp. what, what the nuggets were looking for from Aaron Gordon, I think is what a lot of teams would be looking for from miles Turner that like, Hey, you're going to come in and be this final piece to complete what we have. And you're going to play defense for us. And you're going to complete that, which is what the nuggets, you know, when they're fully healthy, get from Aaron Gordon. So they got, you know, uh, expiring deal with Gary Harris, a future first round pick and RJ Hampton being a young guy in a rookie deal. So if you look at that as a baseline, then I would, if I were the Pacers, I'd be like, Hey, this is what the Orlando magic just got. We want, Topping, and we want a future first round pick and then whatever expiring contract you're going to throw in there to make the salaries match. I know that Nick fans think that they're like going to escape this without having to give up quickly or top in. And I, I just don't see that the Pacers are going to do that for spare parts. Like I understand that there might not be a super robust market because there's not a lot of teams that need a center, but I can look, you know, have a wondering eye and look over at Minnesota and think, you know, that's a new ownership group and that's a general manager with an interim tag. And there's been a lot of reports that Minnesota might want Miles Turner. So I, I was going like to ask you play that off. I was going to ask you who's number one because I I have Charlotte circled and then like the Warriors as this like wild card out there. But those are the two teams that were were kind of on my. But you say Minnesota, okay, it's interesting. I hadn't really considered them as as strongly. Right. Because I think in their case, like I've seen a couple, I've seen that actually reported. It was reported out of India over the summer that they had interest and it's been reported subsequently. Now, I don't know that I fully understand why you would want to have two centers in a hedge scheme, but nobody's guarding Jared Vanderbilt. So I think they probably think, you know, if we have miles out there, he can space the floor open for cat and, you know, miles isn't going to hurt our defense. So we can still drop him back. Maybe cat can defend some on the perimeter. I don't know what the entire thinking is, but if you look at that one from the Pacers perspective, I would be like, you know, you're probably going to end up with like Torian Prince's contract. They have picks. They could give you first round pick. And then I would be after Jade McDaniels. Cause I think he makes a lot of sense. If you're going to have Sabonis I- at the five to throw him out there, I think he's a very intriguing prospect. So, but then this all goes full circle. And I'm just thinking back in my head to Carlisle last night saying, if he knew that a team was going through a rebuild, that, you know, that's, that isn't something I'd want to do. So then it makes me think that they're going to be after a player. Like it's not really so much going to be like taking a step back and maybe getting excited about a younger prospect. It's going to be, you know, we have an eye on that guy and if we can't get him, we're just going to ride this out. Yeah. But I mean, so like I, I my Andrew makes fun of me whenever I bring up uh, something said on the low post, which I do probably once an episode, but like they were talking about it a couple of weeks ago about how like Indy, the nice thing about Indy is they do have so many guys who you feel like they could lose one and maybe even two. And like, there's still pieces that maybe the, 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 what is it? The rising tide. So the tide doesn't fall too much. Like, you know, the thing still stays. Right. I, I mean, again, I, I don't know nearly as much as you on that end, but I like Vanderbilt too. I, if they could get Vanderbilt, I think that would be interesting. Um, a couple more. And then I promise I'm going to get you out of here. Um, so we have uh, a Charlotte pick. That's like 
it's basically going to convey as like a mid teens pick. And then we have a Dallas pick next year. That's top 10 protected. Do you think, again, I'm asking you to like guess, but like, do you think they will, they will prioritize the best first round pick or the, the, the highest ceiling first round pick, or at least let me rephrase that again, a, a first round pick that has a ceiling of potentially like, unprotected or top three or top five protected as opposed to one of these protected jobs? Or do you think that they, it, they would more prioritize like, Oh, we could get this player. We're more focused on the young player that we could get back in this trade. I think that they're going to be more focused on the young player that they can get back and how, because what, because of what you just said, because I mean, if you look at it, I think there's a case that the Pacers top three players are Sabonis and Brogdon and TJ Warren and TJ Warren hasn't played yet. So it's kind of tough to say exactly how everything fits until you know what he's going to look like. And if he's back, I mean, there's reports that he wants to stay in Indiana. He's obviously in a contract year, so there's no guarantees there, but you know, you have those three players and who can you get, you know, at that four spot that you believe might have some upside. And I've been trying to watch Toppin and how he's fit with Randall. And and those are such sparse minutes. It's, it's so hard to parse through because I, I mean, the one game where they played more was against the Raptors and there was a lot of zone happening. So that's not necessarily the best assessment, but I mean, I guess if there's one thing I can hang my hat on is it's a little strange to me that Tibbs sticks to drop coverage when the two of them are out there instead of going like switch everything with Randall. So um, it kind of, there's like a glass half full element there that like, Hey, like these numbers don't look bad and they're not even really using a defensive scheme that particularly works. And like from Rick Carlisle's standpoint, like I, I know from my own eyes, from what they ran in Dallas and the fact that a lot of the playbook is the same with the Pacers that like, there's a whole chunk of the playbook he doesn't even use because they don't have anybody that can have vertical gravity. Like he loves a lob play and they don't have anyone they can run them for. Well, so with regards to Toppin, you have that. You, he's going to add pace to you. He never stops moving. He's pretty intuitive with how he screens and, and moves in the half court. Um, I think that's a plus. Well, I, I'll just tell you right now, there's a, I don't even want, I don't even want to call it a subset of Nick fans. There was a large swath of the fan base that would um, probably not mind it one bit. If Julius Randall was sent out of town and this or- offense reoriented itself around, Oh, wait a minute. We have all these guards who could like put the ball on the floor and shoot and like, you know, kind of keep defenses um, on their heels. And then we have, these two monsters who could, and Mitchell Robinson and Obi Top and who could go up and catch anything at any time. Um, why don't we go see how that works for a while, as opposed to this guy who like wants to kind of pound the ball and like do all the Julius Randle things. Um, Toppin's good. Um, I would be, sh- <laughs> I'd be surprised if the Knicks included him in a deal for Toppin for, uh, for Turner. I would, I don't know that if I, I, I'd say I'd be shocked. I'd be very surprised though. Um, so And that's why I think it's going to be hard for those two teams to find a deal. Cause I mean, I can't say that I think that like any of the established players, like, like what's Evan Fournier going to do for the Pacers? I was going to ask you about Fournier. I'm like, you know, why am I going to, I mean, they are like right now in the last month, I mean, and for the season, they're like 28th and three point percentage, um, 30th for the month of December. Like it's a problem (laughs) against hedging and zone. But the problem with Fournier is again, you're losing like they, the Pacers would be losing their best defender. The person who's their safety net to cover up for that stuff would be gone. And then you're adding in somebody who's been incredibly harmful to the New York Nick defense at times into, you know, not having the same degree of rim protection. Like I just, I don't see that as particularly feasible. I, I I wonder uh, uh, what, actually, no, I want to ask you very quickly. Turner's defense. Is it, it's, it's not fool's gold because there's there are a subset of people out there who think that it's like fool's goldy. It's it's real. It's legit, right? 
Right. Um, I think, yeah, he's a tremendous pick and roll defender. Obviously he's going to be better in drop. Um, I think some of the stuff with him being able to switch out on the perimeter is a little bit overstated is a little bit overstated, but, um, I do think he's gotten a little bit better handling physicality and ways and the defensive rebounding numbers still aren't good, but you have to remember that like he plays out on the perimeter at times, like, especially on the offensive glass, like he's playing out on the perimeter. Sabonis is obviously a very good rebounder. And I, I think like the best he's ever ranked. If you look at the NBA shot charts rankings on defensive uh, rebounding rate, um, it's the best that he's been as this season last year, I think, or two years ago under Nate McMillan, he was like 181st in the league. So um, it, it's not great, but I think that sometimes around the Pacer media sphere, a lot of their rebounding issues over the prior seasons had gotten completely pegged on him. And I don't think that's completely fair. Okay. Like their, their wings, you know, Jeremy Lamb and other guys miss sync rotations a lot where they need to come in there. And then some of it was just Nate Bjorkren's system. Like when you're constantly making him challenge shots at the rim, he can't challenge a shot at the rim and grab the rebound. Like somebody else has to sink in there and be able to box out his guy. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage, but um, yeah, I wouldn't call it fool's gold. I think that he has legitimate claims that, you know, if there was more than two defensive, I, all defensive teams, he'd yeah. probably be more in the picture than what you've seen. Yeah. Um, but I will say one thing that I quibble with that with like his defense has seen his sacrosanct in Indiana, but it does bother me a bit that sometimes he'll motion for guys like, Hey, I'm going to bait that guy. I'm going to let him pass me when, you know, cause I want to get a chase down block or a recovery block when, uh, when the easier thing to be, to do would just be to slide over and stop the drive and, and make that a kick out. And he's great. And he gets them a lot of times, but when it doesn't work, then it's leading to, you know, a kick out corner three or the guys getting to the rim because he's let them go past. So that would be my one little quibble. But yeah, I mean, I think he's overall pretty excellent and an impactful rim protector. Yeah, I, I, I that was my opinion as well. I'm glad to have it confer- confirmed. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. The Fournier thing is interesting just because he started to pick it up now and he is a good shooter and he can theoretically do stuff, although in actuality, it leaves a bit to be desired. And then, you know, Mitchell Robinson is... Um, it's like the the constant, um, you know, he's he's titillating and and like oh the ever intriguing Mitchell Robinson. It's like one of these days maybe we'll see like the fully formed actualized version and have it be consistent. Like maybe like four or five games in a row. I I don't know. He had a great game last night again against the aforementioned uh, poor Detroit Pistons. Um, yeah, I, I I think there's I would be I would be surprised even though as we've discussed, it might be tough to find a match. I'd be surprised if there weren't rumors that come out over the next month or so. Cause I do think there's something to it. Um, yeah. We'll see what the Knicks want to want to give up. Um, lastly, before I let you go, I, I do have to ask like in all seriousness, you have kind of blown up in like the last year and change. It, it, um, what's that been like for you? Like to get noticed on a national scale. I, I have to think, cause I know, from your work, I could tell the amount of hours you put in. So do you, how, how does that feel to kind of get recognized finally? Um, some of it, it's interesting. Cause it's like, it's not that I'm brand new to this. It's just that, you know, it took some of the right people being able to see it. And I think that it's pretty important, like, and I don't want to make it all about this, but like having men in the NBA Twitter sphere, be, share my work or invite me on podcasts like this is important. Cause there's not, you know, women don't often get represented on podcasts. You might be, you know, you do a preview pod, then there's 30 of them. There might be 
one or two women invited if there are any. So I think that that's part of it, but um, sometimes I like it better than others. I don't engage a lot in NBA Twitter. And sometimes people have to tell me, Oh, you know, Zach Lowe said something about you on the podcast. I'm like I didn't listen to it because yeah, I have, I have a couple of like really bad haters, like legitimately do not like me. And the one person over like everything I write will be like, you're the Kevin O'Connor of Zach Lowe's. So like, I don't know why Kevin O'Connor's taking strays in this conversation, but like <laughs> I try to distance myself from that so that like my work doesn't seem derivative, but obviously I'm very much appreciative and as many eyeballs as I can get. Um, I like, but you know, with a wider audience comes more scrutiny and comes more, you know, well actually and, and, oh. And, and, and since this rebuild has occurred, you won't believe the amount of people who have tried to tell me things about Turner and Sabonis since these rumors came out that, you know, well, Turner, like from other fan bases, well, Sabonis does this or, you know, Turner does this. I'm like, yes, I know. I've watched all of their games more than once. I, I get it, but um, yeah. It, it's it, 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 given what you just said, it, it's, it does seem appropriate to end this pod with, with great power also comes Great responsibility. Um, And you are handling it well. (laughs) Can you just tell um, the folks at home, uh, for anybody who may not be following you, and again, I don't follow a ton of people who cover other teams because I just, you know, I follow enough people already. You're a great follow because I always do learn something when you... um, tweet stuff out. So can you tell folks at home where they could find you? Right. So my handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. And then I'm at Indy Cornrows about once or twice a week writing pieces there. And then occasionally I might, when I have free time, write freelance pieces at various places. So I've had one at 538 and I've written a couple at SB Nation NBA. Uh, perhaps we will do this again if these two teams play in the play-in game. I could see a feisty... <laughs> talk about adding another uh, less heralded chapter to the Knicks Pacers, you know, playoff history. Uh, I don't know if nine, 10 game has quite the same ring to it as like Eastern conference finals, but you know, yeah, I mean, it'll be right up there with 8.9 seconds. I'm, I'm confident. Like people will be remembering that right alongside it. Remember that play in tournament game. <laughs> yeah. Listen, uh, eight points in uh, 8.9 seconds happened on, uh, the day of my, uh, 11th. I always forget it was, if it was, it was either my 11th or 12th uh, birthday party. Um, I had all family over and I, uh, I ended up crying in front of my family that night. Uh, happy was, birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday to me. 8.9, 8.9 seconds. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you for coming on and for bringing that memory up. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Caitlin. I certainly did. Uh, she's great. Go give her a follow, read whatever she comes out with. Even if you don't care about the Pacers, uh, you're going to get smarter reading her stuff. Um, that's it for me today. Don't forget, if you like the podcast, feel free, as always, to drop a rating, drop a review, subscribe if you're not already subscribed. All that stuff helps us out. We do appreciate it. Um, and uh, I think that's it for me today. We'll be back with you in another episode very soon. <laughs>